intercepted. Wasting away now is Marner. He's got a partial breakaway. He's in a goal. Drops it back. They score. Holy mackerel. What a beautiful play from Mitchell Marner, who reaches the 50 assist point for the fifth time in his career. And it is Nyes, the beneficiary. Are you aware that the last time the Leafs beat the Cubs in this building right now shows that they were more? I had no idea. I had no idea. That's it's quite a long time. <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel pretty old, so um, I mean that's pretty incredible. I mean, that's a huge coincidence. Welcome back. It's a fan morning show. Sports at 590 the fan. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. Did he just say he felt old? Yeah, I know, right? Like he's he's like barely older than barely younger than you Same are. Same age as my brother. By the way. Yeah, like, yeah. he's not 2002, old. baby. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I saw that. Pretty crazy, though, for a team as as bad as the Arizona Coyotes have been for the last two decades. It's taken them. It's been 22 years, a span of 12 consecutive games against Arizona on home ice that they have failed to win in regulation. That's pretty crazy. Pretty so, crazy. So... When I saw that, and it was Matthew Nye's birthday. The, the, the birthday, specific the day. The, the, the specific day. The day, day yes. he was born was the last time that the Leafs had beaten the Coyotes in regulation. <laughs> Ironic that he scores. I believe that also was the had a really good game, by the way. I think that was actually his first point against the Coyotes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Chris Cuthbert referenced it on the on the broadcast, actually. Yes, that was his first point against his hometown team. So there was another thing that happened last night, and you know that there are so many Lee fans that are going to seethe when they hear this. Sheldon Keefe wins game number 200. The ties him with Bruce Boudreaux for the second fastest coach to reach that total. Did you research that yourself, by the way? I did. Well done. Because I, I saw SN Stats retweeted it. Yeah. So I thought, okay, did Maddie do the research himself or where did he solicit this information? It well would, done. Sir. Generally, it would be Sportsnet Stats because they're awesome. But no, because I remember reading, like, I, I remember either or I read it somewhere or I had looked up Sheldon Keefe's coaching record and I had seen, like, he was nearing 200 wins. And this was even into last year. And I was like, okay, he's, his pace is... Because if I'm not mistaken, he was one of the fastest to 100 wins yes. as well. You know what else? Uh, I think it was... Oh gosh, it was, this was last season too. I can't remember what milestone it was. But there Maybe was 150? a wild, wild stat about him having the best winning percentage of all time for a coach within the first however many games that it took him to reach the a certain milestone. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it was impressive. So I'm not, so, I wasn't surprised to see it when you, when you put that stat out there. Yesterday. So uh, it took him 163 games to get to a hundred wins. Mm. Uh, that was sixth fastest. So his trajectory since winning 100 has gone even up. has been pretty good. Yeah. So he won, uh, he won. If my math is correct here, so what was that? I said two or 326. 326. He was at 163, you so, said? Yeah. So in, uh, what's that? 100 and 163 games. Yeah. You won another 100. Yeah. So that's better than, you know, second best. Dan Bilesman has the record. Yes. 316. 316. Yeah. And you know what's funny is I got a, I got a couple of, 
tweets on it saying, uh, well, I got one that said, and no, and there are people out there that think he can't coach, which that right there, like that should tell you everything that you need to know. Well, maybe not everything. Cause he still makes some bad decisions. There's no question. And then there's somebody that said, and so now can we fire him? <laughs> well, well, you can't fire him because you do not run the organization, but the team could, and I don't think that they're going to. I had a take off of, I mean, you did all the work and it generated a, a conversation topic in my head, or not a topic, a, a, a take, an opinion. Sure. So in his career, Sheldon Keefe is now 288 and 38, 326 games. Great pretty, record. Pretty good. Very good. Very good. And as I've stated, it's one of the, he's got one of the best winning percentages of all time, just in general, like he's up there. It's, it's impressive for a guy that has actually been probably this team's most consistent head coach since the years of Pat Quinn, arguably one of the most successful, at least in terms of regular season wins and losses, one of the most successful head coaches in the history of the franchise. He's, it seems like we want to fire this guy every 10 minutes. It's it's pretty crazy. Like it also illustrates how fickle the coaching profession, the world of professional sports, being a coach in professional sports, how fickle that job and that that position really is. Now, I'm not going to sit here and be so compassionate and sympathize because yeah, they make millions of dollars to stand behind the bench or stand on the sideline and coach a sport. That being said, it is interesting to me that everybody's so quick to want to kick this guy to the curb, but all he does and has done at least in the regular season He's won, and his resume is becoming very impressive. We've also become, we're also living in a society, Maddie, where we have zero patience. We have zero patience. Every, every, the last few years. We live in the microwave society. Totally. That's a great way to put it. Every. Before you, what's his playoff record? That's what I know. I saw that. I saw that. I did. Uh, And I was going to reference this. He doesn't play. He, he doesn't. Thank you. He doesn't. He's not strapping on skates and jumping over the boards. He's on. And and you know what? I saw this clip resurface yesterday on my TikTok feed. It was from the Amazon series where he's addressing the team. Keith is after the third period in Game Six against Montreal. Okay, so they're still leading the series at this point, three two. They're going to overtime. He comes in and he has this incredible impassioned speech where he talks about, all right, now guys, this is the, oh, a lot of expletives. This is the type of bleep that you're remembered for. This is it. If not now, when? If not now, when are you going to get it? When is it going to click for you? And he's going on this great rant, comes in. It's a like maybe he's in there talking to them for three, four minutes. Boom, perfect, succinct. I thought the message was fantastic. They went out and they lost the game. Yeah, laid an egg. Right. Well, they didn't didn't lay lay an egg, egg. but they they got shut out by a very good goaltender. Again, at some point, the players are also culpable in this. 100%. They're they're culpable all the time. It's that people want to find the one person because you can't fire 23 players, but you can fire the coach, and everybody thinks all the time that that makes the difference. Everybody's going to point to, well, look at the job that Chris Knobloch has done in Edmonton. But that was never a coaching issue. Their best player was hurt and playing hurt, mm-hmm. and their best defenseman was playing hurt, and they had no goaltending. All right. To use a football parallel here, right? And and you've spent all year talking football. I sure fan have. Fan check down, and obviously you're a big football guy to begin with. But 
What if somebody would have wrote off Andy Reid five years into his career as a head coach? What if yeah. somebody would have said, nah, he wins a lot of regular season games, can't win the big one. Mm-hmm. And Andy, you can't win in the playoffs because that was the, the narrative and the yeah, knock on him for many couldn't years. Win the, couldn't win the big games. Couldn't win the big games, right? Always fell flat. Terrible game, a time management guy. Um, Always got out coached in those big moments. Okay, well, guess what? What is the reputation of Andy Reid now? One of the top three best coaches in the in NFL history, and he, he may not be three. And, and how long did it take him to win his first Super Bowl as a head coach? Uh, I know it. What, 15 years? 21 years. There you go. Matty, 21 years. I was going to say 20, and I was like, that seems like too much. No, no, 21 years. Yeah. Andy Reid has been in the conference title game at least in 44% of his games, 44% of his season. And and you know what's sad about, and I, I, heck, I mean, again, I'm not trying to empathize with these coaches here, but what I do find sad, it's not sad. It is, it is, it exemplifies what I said earlier in the fact that we live in a society where everybody has zero patience is nowadays if there was a somebody in the position of Andy Reid when he was with the Philadelphia Phillies uh, Philadelphia Eagles excuse me for example and he had winning seasons for 5 years but they always lost in the postseason that guy would be out of a job no job yep. that he'd be out of a job and that is exactly the I'm not saying he Sheldon Keith don't get let's not get it twisted here I'm not saying he's on a trajectory like Andy Reid where in 20 years he's going to be one of the greatest coaches of all time and he's going to have five Stanley Cups or whatever no 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 I'm not saying that uh, let's let's be clear but what I am trying to suggest is maybe maybe just have a better level of appreciation we should maybe have a higher level of appreciation for the fact that he's actually a really good quality NHL head coach and I think that gets overlooked sometimes. Um, do you think that Bruce Cassidy is a good NHL head I coach? Do. I do. Okay. Well, Bruce Cassidy was 58 years old when he won his first Stanley Cup. The oldest coach to ever, that was his first Stanley Cup. Um, you think Barry Trotz was a good coach? Yes. Yeah. Barry Trotz was 55 when he won his cup with the Washington Capitals. You think Rick Bonus is a good head coach? I do. So do I. Yeah. And Has Rick- he ever won a Stanley Cup? No. There you go. Um, Claude Julien, 51. Like, we can go down this list. Yep. Sheldon Keefe is still growing in this job. And does he make does he make mistakes that sometimes are critical? Sure. 100%. But he's not the only coach in NHL history that has made errors that are critical. It happens. It's part of the learning process. Mm-hmm. But to all, like, it is so lazy to just put this on the head coach. It, it is such a lazy narrative. It's kind of like last night. And like less so because, you know, it was a player on the ice that gets blamed for this, but I was waiting for, (laughs) I know exactly where you're going. You know, exactly where I'm going. I was waiting for the cowards and the lazy (laughs) analysts to blame Morgan Riley for the Alex Kerfoot goal (laughs) yesterday. I actually had someone said, of course we would blame him. He's the one who turned the puck over. No, he didn't. He didn't turn it over, no. He was at the blue line playing his position, and Mitch Marner's pass put him in a 50-50 spot where it was decision time, I got to go for this puck, or else what? It was either a two-on-one or a breakaway. It was one or the other. And he took a chance. But that, but he didn't put himself in that spot. But it's easy for someone to say, oh, 44 is on the ice? 
oh, 44 has got to be the problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, the Leafs, the Leafs got scored on. It must be Sheldon Keefe's problem because his defensive structure isn't very good. His defensive structure looked pretty darn good when they're on a seven-game rip, didn't it? Yeah. When they didn't have their number one defenseman that they pay over $8 million for. And they have a defense that does not even resemble anything close to a Stanley Cup contender. And yet, and yet, the coach sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry, but all this talk, even we got another one. The playoffs are what matters until he proves himself in the playoffs. He's just another guy. You know what? Then there's 31 other guys. Okay? Seriously. Because only one Seriously. coach wins the Stanley Cup at the end of the year. Yeah. This whole narrative of Sheldon Keefe can't coach and Sheldon Keefe can't do this and he can't do that is all BS. Does he make mistakes? Absolutely he makes mistakes. Do you at your job make mistakes? Absolutely. People that are texting in? Yes, you do. Yeah. So this is my point. Like, for people to just have this lazy take on Sheldon Keefe because you don't like Sheldon Keefe. Well, I'm sorry. He's not the guy who's a putting the player. Like he's not the guy putting the team together. He is coaching what he has. And frankly, for a guy that's won 200 games in his first 326, it's pretty good. I agree. So I, I, agree. I just, I just think that it's such a, it's just such a lazy narrative to just blame the coach all the time. Like that to me is just, you know, do some research. Do what Danielli did, like he did in the last block, where you do your research. Anyway, on that game last night, because again, we've gotten a little bit of time without talking about the game. I thought the first period was good. I thought they were not good the rest of the game. I thought that, um, I thought Joseph Wall was solid. Yeah. You know, you and I kind of had this conversation off the air about Joseph Wall, and we talked about it yesterday, how a team does play different when a certain goaltender is in net. I thought that the Leafs in the second and third, after they figured out that Joseph Wall looked healthy enough to take on a little bit of a workload, because they allowed basically nothing through the per- first period and a half towards Joseph Wall. Like, Arizona's offense was stymied, and they did a good job of limiting their chances. I felt like in the third period, the Leafs played a little bit more loose than they probably should have, but that speaks to me anyway of the confidence they have in the goaltender. Not that they felt like they could take the rest of the night off because they were up three, nothing, but it did kind of have that feeling, which is two things. One, I don't like that, that sentiment, but two, I do like that they have confidence in the goaltender because there's one thing that, and, and Jeff Merrick says this on the Jeff Merrick show, which you can listen to 12 to two every single day, Monday to Friday. Good plug. Uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan and Sportsnet 360. Players know. You can't fool players. Players know. They know who's good. They know who deserves to be out there. They're not. They know. This team, I believe, knows that Joseph Wall is the guy. And and people can say, well, it's just one game. Relax. It is one game. And I will relax. But we saw him play in the playoffs. We saw him play well last year. We saw him play well at the beginning of this year. I think this team, team just plays differently in front of him. It seems like he instills a level of confidence that the other guys, the other goaltenders just do not possess for whatever reason when he's in net, even as a fan. And I'm sure a lot of people, whether you're on the text line or, or uh, listening, I'm sure a lot of you will probably agree with this sentiment. You're sitting there watching the game and knowing that it's number 60 between the pipes versus, and this is no slight on Ilya Samsonov or Martin Jones, but knowing that it's Joseph wall provided a certain level of comfort and positive reinforcement 
just because it was Joseph Wall. And and it might have I don't I don't know what it is. It's it's almost like he he he's got this X factor component to him that is hard to quantify, but it really does exist and you can see it rub off on the team and you can see it um have an effect on those guys around him. And last night, I mean, there's a real scenario here where if he's not in goal, if he doesn't talk about, you know, I I, <laughs> I thought, I and I advocated all week long, Thursday should be the night for Joseph Wall to make his return. And I thought I, I had that opinion because Arizona is a team that's a bottom feeder. They're not very good. You could say it, they suck. Third worst record in the NHL, 14-game losing streak. Also, hand up, credit to Arizona for a team that had lost 13 in a row before last night. They didn't bail last night. Oh, my night. goodness. Yeah, they, played they played really hard. hard, and they competed, and they didn't quit, and it looked like a team that played with a ton of desperation and urgency for a group that has had endured, that has endured a lot of losing and hasn't won since January. They did not record a win in the month of February. So, anyway, kudos to them on that front. But Joseph Wall could be this team's X factor. He really could. And off air, you mentioned, you said you talked about the it factor that exists with certain athletes in sports. Mm -hmm. It feels like he's got it. Whatever that it is, he has that. And it's, again, it's hard to really quantify it, put your finger on it. But boy, oh boy, he just feels like a major difference maker when he's in between the pipes for this team. It does bode well. Like we, we still have to see. I think, I think what it did is it, it gave them the confidence that okay, you know that was a. I don't want to say it was a layup because it's still an NHL team, but it was as much of a layup as it gets right now. I think it was actually far from a layup. Like I, I interpreted not. I don't want to. I don't want to say I interpreted it as a layup going into the matchup, but I did think it was the softest landing spot for him. Yeah, that's yeah. That being said, didn't end up being that at all because he had to work really hard and faced a ton of high stress, high danger opportunities throughout the course of that game, especially in the second and third periods. Cause to your point, they, they basically limped to the finish line in that game as a team in front of him. And you could see the moment you could see the momentum turn. Like when they scored the, the three, two goal, goal. you got, you got a, and I know it's a one goal lead, but you looked at it and went like, I could really see. I was like, oh, the over is going to hit because this one's going into overtime and they mm-hmm. won't beat them in mm-hmm. regulation again. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what my thought was. Um, but I think what it's now done is it says, okay, we're comfortable with, really they're comfortable with all three of the guys that they have yeah, right now. For good reason. I, I do wonder how this is going to work now going forward. Like, is it going to, as long as both guys are healthy, is it going to be Great a question. 50-50 split? I well, who, let's start here. Who starts Saturday? Like, who starts tomorrow? They play the Rangers after what you just saw yesterday. I, who starts? I think, um, I do think that that Samsonov is going to get the net on Saturday, but I don't think that Samsonov is getting both Boston games. Yeah, I, I would I think suspect that I mean, that's maybe it's a back to back as well. I it's, think so. They have four games next week, right? Yeah, well, Saturday, Monday, and then the back-to-back with and Buffalo then, and, and Boston then, again. And then Saturday against Montreal. Correct. I would I would say that Joseph Wall is not getting Montreal and Buffalo. I think that Joseph Wall gets one Boston game and then I and then he's going to get and I think it's going to be 
Monday. Okay. And then he's going to get the Sabres. Okay, interesting. And then they're going to go Samson off Boston, Montreal. That's my guess. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And I, I think I think they are going to be careful with Wall, but I think playing two games in a week is is fine. Thank you very much. And I think they're spaced out enough for him, allows him to rest in between. And then it keeps Samsonov fresh. But I also think, like, here's here's where, where I really struggle with with this whole notion of having multiple goalies that you trust. We saw what happened when Minnesota tried to do this. And they went with, like, Gustafson, I can't remember what series it was. But Gustafson went out and had like 53 saves, looked really good. And then the next game they went to flurry instead of riding the hot hand. We saw Boston go, they started with Allmark and then they finished with Swayman. But there was, you, you want one guy. You want to have the one guy you can trust going in. And for my money, I think they want that guy to be Joseph Wall because mm-hmm. Joseph Wall never, sh- he didn't lose a starting job. You never lose a, a starting gig, or at least you shouldn't because you got hurt. Joseph Wall was more consistent, albeit in a shorter time frame than Ilya Samsonov was. Samsonov has been better, but Samsonov hasn't been good enough that you're like, he's getting 60% of the starts the rest of the way. There's, there's no way. But is 50-50 the right move too? Like, that's where I struggle with this. Are you just trying to keep both of these guys fresh and that's why you're going to go 50-50? But for my money, they want it to be Wall. And if Joseph Wall starts game one of the playoffs, that would be the least surprising thing that I've seen. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, I think, in fact, if we are sitting here today, and it's not, I don't think it's just necessarily recency bias, but anytime we've seen Joseph Wall in an NHL net, he's looked good. He's looked impressive. More than competent. He, you know what he looks like? He looks like a guy that does not is not rattled by no, the moment. Never especially, shies away from the especially moment. Especially in the playoffs last year, that's where I, I noticed it the most. For sure. Think about he gets thrust in because of an injury, and it was almost reluctant. Like, they reluctantly had to put him in that position, and he took the ball and ran with it, even winning a game for them against Florida. That's, to me, that was told you everything you needed to know about the type of goaltender he's capable of being. I actually think because he has such a small sample size at the NHL level, I almost feel like there there aren't it's not a case where um he needs to be handled with kid gloves and you need to worry about trying to protect his workload. Like I actually think there aren't enough games for him to play. Play him as much as you possibly can because we've only as as great as he's been and I definitely think, as as we just talked about, there's an X-factor um, upside to him as a goaltender. He's only played 31 career NHL games. And to me, I would feel more comfortable seeing a, a larger sample size throughout the duration of the regular season as we head into game one of the playoffs. Then, if this is the same guy that we've always seen, if he's this rock-solid, you know, um, consistent, even keel performer in between the pipes the rest of the way, by all means, please, game one, Joseph Walsh should be between the pipes. Ilya Samsonov is probably just as capable of of providing elite goaltending performances um, as Joseph Wall, but the difference is Samsonov is more prone to a lot of lulls. 
It feels like. Yeah, you you feel the like... The lows are low. They can be very low. <laughs> Joseph Wall, we haven't seen any of that yet. And maybe that's, maybe that's even a lesson. How does he react to adversity? How does he handle a moment where he goes a couple starts and he's so-so or below average? Then what is... like? Because I've always said when it comes to athletes, coaches, anything in sports, you don't really learn about yourself until you deal with adversity. And he hasn't dealt with adversity yet in terms of actual performance. Injury-wise, sure. He had to go through an arduous rehab. He had to work his way back. He's been very injured throughout his professional career. That's part of even why it it, it, it sort of, I don't want to say halted his development a little bit. It might be part of the reason why we didn't see him sooner because he had a a big injury in the minors uh, one year where he had to sit out for a while. So he's overcome those aspects. But in terms of actually on-ice struggles, hasn't experienced it yet. And it might be good, I hate to say this, but you'd much rather, I I say in football all the time, you'd much rather trade a tough loss in the regular season for a win in the playoffs. And I feel similarly with goaltending here with Joseph Wall. Let him make mistakes. Let him grow and learn. Give him the opportunity to do so over the next 20-odd games. And then hopefully come playoff time, he's at least dealt with some form of adversity to now harden him and be ready for that type of environment. So based on my count, um, up until the 22-23 season, he had played 85 AHL games in one, two, three, four years. To me, he's got to play. So he's got to there, play, There's man. not a lot of professional game activity here. So here's how I can liken um, or my comparable for Joseph Wall and Ilya Samsonov. Joseph Wall is like the octaves in John Tavares' voice. It stays on the same line. You know where I'm going with this? <laughs> Ilya Samsonov is like yours. It's here, down here. And then when he gets really excited, it's up here. Uh, and when he gets really I don't know if I should <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or you're, an you're, insult. No, I just I I I mean Should I be offended? No, you, you should. compared me to Ilya Samsonov? No, no, I compared Ilya Samsonov to you. Oh. Actually, oh. I don't know if that's better or worse. That's worse. That's <laughs> worse. I don't know if that's That's better, worse. Yeah. He's a pro athlete. Yeah, I well, would trade bank accounts with him that much. I would uh, <laughs> you and me both, brother. Uh, so the Leafs win that one four to two. Um, we didn't even really talk about Tyler Bertuzzi scoring again. Looks like a different player. Six and seven games. What is that? Five in his last three games or something like that. He, he's matched his goal total over the last seven games to what he had through 51 games this year. And it tells you all you need to know some, pretty much. Sometimes uh, there's an adjustment period. There's, you know, they talked about it on the broadcast last night. Craig Simpson talked about being the guy that comes in and there's expectations and, you know, you got to prove yourself and you got to get comfortable. You know, I will say this, watching Tyler Bertuzzi night in and night out, it does not look pretty, but he's been producing. Like he's, he's not a good looking skater. He's, you know, even the slap shot wind up yesterday. I was like, (laughs) it's kind of ugly. (laughs) He scores ugly goals. He's got a quirky stick, too. Yeah, he doesn't tape the, his stick. The the tape. Right yeah, that's great. It's like a road hockey stick, but for someone that has never played before, because it's like, oh, what do you do with this tape? Like, he literally puts one, because you have to have one piece of tape on the on the blade, and you have to have a piece of tape on the top covering up, you know, Yesterday, the, the notch. Yesterday, actually, by the way. What? They on noticed the, that on the, and they showed him on the bench. Uh, they talked about how his stick for whatever, normally, just because of that, he puts one little rope of tape. Yesterday, he did not put any tape on the top of the on the top of the stick on the knob of the stick that's very weird that hurts my hands thinking i I know it's very bizarre and but yeah that was the first time all season and they made note of that during the the actual broadcast what stands out to me about him this is what i appreciate most about his game is and this is part of why i think he's been really effective as of late 
It's he's got a willingness to get into the greasy areas. And the Leafs. Yeah, and that's but that's that's the that's MO, why he's here. man. That's why that's he, why he's here. That's why they coveted him last year. And it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. And that's what they were devoid of and have been devoid of. And the fact that he's now finally doing it, because it felt like he was really trying to find himself for the first half of the season, if not a little bit even beyond that. Uh, but as of late, you can tell he he understands his identity as a player. He's going back to what works for him. And even yesterday, just again, gets the tip. Where does it come from? Dirty area in front of the net, right? He had another sequence where he drives the puck to the net. And that's a skill tip there. That's a very skilled yes, tip. Yes, very skilled tip. Another sequence where he drives it hard to the net, getting into the greasy area, putting applying pressure on the on the defense and on the goaltender. That's exactly what I want to see from 50, 59, man. Just Could, keep just, doing that. Just couldn't get that empty netter for the over. <gasps> Damn you. <laughs> Come on, Tyler. But a good win for the Leafs last night. I mean, I don't even know if I would call it a good win. It's a win against a team that you should beat. It did feel like a little bit of a trap game with oh, the Rangers coming up. Kind of felt like they escaped with two points. You know, I, I got I will that's how I interpreted it yesterday. The, I came away with that thought. Yeah. And but that's okay cuz those games happen. Sure. As long as you're beating those teams, I'm fine with it. Show up tomorrow and and have a more complete effort against a good team though. Yeah. Uh we're going to take a break when we come back. Sam Cosentino NHL on Sportsnet and Sportsnet's NHL draft analyst. He will join us. Uh, we'll talk about the Ilya Labushkin trade. We'll talk. You know what? Sammy Sammy know, would know this kind of thing about the value of draft picks as someone who covers the draft. We'll talk to him about what the the Leafs gave up in this deal and the and the price for um, retention, and just talk about the Leafs and and where things are heading and what he thinks may happen. Because I know that Sammy will be a part of our draft coverage here on Sportsnet next Friday. All that and more when we come back. It's the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. And boy, oh boy, it's been a really Italian week. We've had a, it's, I mean, between you and I, there's a lot of brujutes on this show. <laughs> and we're going to add some more here. Sam Cosentino, NHL on Sportsnet and Sportsnet's lead draft analyst, who will be on the coverage next week for Trade Deadline. How are you, Sammy? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm just uh, getting ready to get my espresso. Oh, there boy. we go, Sammy. I <laughs> I knew you wouldn't fail me here, Sammy. <laughs> so, um, before we get to the Leafs last night, I wanted to talk about the trade. So, the Leafs acquire Ilya Labushkin from Anaheim uh, in a three-team deal along with Carolina. The Leafs only pay 25% of his salary. It's a third-round pick and a sixth-round pick. I mean, you could quibble on the sixth-round pick, whatever. But, you know, we we were talking about the package that was paid and why maybe there was a little bit more of a premium on salary retention. But as someone who covers the NHL draft extensively, like you do, you know, I brought up the point, like people are making a big deal about oh they, they overpaid and they sent a third round pick, but in all likelihood, based on the averages that we've seen over the course of hockey history, that third round pick probably won't pan out. 
Yeah, I mean, unless it's a goalie, it's a weird, it's a weird thing with the goalie. Sometimes they end up going in the third round and being and being pretty good. So I don't know. Like the the thing is, when you have a, a bird in the hand, is it better than two or three in the tree? I think that's the way you you, you got to look at it. And let's be honest, like Toronto's in a situation where everybody knows they don't have a lot to give up. So what when they acquire a piece, they can kind of hold them hostage because I think. It's, it's no secret to the league what the needs are of various teams. And for Toronto to go out and get kind of a, a heavy D, especially, you know, when, with what you saw happen last night, McCabe gets bumped, Giordano leaves. Unfortunately, you're in a situation where you, you don't have any leverage and you have to pay whatever the, the price is and it forces you really to get creative. So that's the most interesting piece of this whole thing. But when you're... Uh, in that situation, no one's giving you anything for free, that's for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I think speaking of the draft, the one thing that we've heard a lot about, by all accounts, is that Bradtree Living is trying very, very hard to refrain from having to move this year's first-round pick. And the Leafs have obviously have a history of, of trading first-round picks uh, in recent years. They've done it twice in the last three years at this time of, of this juncture of the season ahead of the trade deadline and moving first-round picks. I guess within the greater context of the draft itself, what do you think that, like, we know picks are currency, but what do you think within the, again, within the context of this particular talent, group of talent, this prospect pool, how is that first round pick, excuse me, interpreted from a value standpoint? Like how valuable would that actually be for them if they were to dangle it? What are we talking about in terms of the potential type of asset they're giving up come June? Well, if, if for it to become what I would consider a viable asset for this draft, they'd probably have to be in a wild card two position, meaning slip down a little bit, not hold one of the top three shot, uh, spots in the division. So if you go from a league-wide ranking, for example, right now, Detroit is in, in 12th spot. They're in a wild card position. Okay, The Toronto Maple Leafs, league-wide standing, are in a ninth spot. So the way I've kind of looked at this draft is the last 10 or 12 picks, from 20 onward, I'd be willing to move on. Now, other teams know that that's going to be a little bit of a decreased value, but the closer I am to 20, the, the better it is, which you know, sounds like kind of idiot thinking. But look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, for example. Okay, They hold the second wild card right now. They have 70 points. Now, that pick I would be very interested in because I feel like there's a player in the top 20 that's going to make a difference for me. Once I get to the bottom 10 picks of the first round in this draft, I feel less confident about that being the case. Having said that, you do have teams that when they acquire multiple picks, employ a strategy where with that second pick, if it's lower in the first round, 20 and beyond, we can kind of swing for the fences and, and, and look for something, uh, one particular trait in a player that we hope pops that will have a significant value in the National Hockey League in the coming years. So I think that pick... As much as they talk about it not being in play, I still think there's a there's another opportunity out there that's going to be facing the Maple Leafs. When you look at teams like Carolina that can help uh, broker a deal and retain salary, that will be in the mix. So I would I would say as much as it's been talked about not moving, I think it's always in play. And I think if Toronto can go out and even get a, another defenseman or some, you know, or some other piece, then then it becomes in play. Okay. The bottom line is, guys, from 20 to 32, I'd be willing to move off my first-round pick, but I also think that other teams know that that's not 
uh, as valuable this year as it has been in past. Sorry about that, Sammy. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Um, interrupt your train of thought. So along those lines then, the other element uh, in terms of asset capital that the Leafs have are some interesting young prospects. And we saw the TANF trade happen earlier this week. And so even Matt and I had a discussion about, okay, what would actually have been even, let's say, obviously the Leafs didn't have a second-round pick. They they didn't have that at their disposal. But from a prospect standpoint, what would have been the equivalent to the type of player they would have had to give up as part of that transaction? And it got me thinking, just bigger picture with this team, if we remove Easton Cowan, Fraser Minton from the equation, and I suppose even maybe Toby Nimula, um, what are the, did, like? Do the Leafs have any of those second-tier prospects that actually carry value around the NHL that could be used and included as part of some of these trades? Like, is there a way to for them to get creative to land a player of consequence, but without touching the top end of their prospect pool? I, I don't think there is. I don't think there's a path forward doing that. To be honest with you, you know, Nick Abruzzese is the guy who's got NHL games. You know, he signed right out of Harvard. He's having a decent year in the American Hockey League. Um, what kind of value does he hold? Yeah, he might be a guy that you would consider, um, you know, you know that I think some teams would consider. Uh, William Villeneuve is another guy, defense, but you don't really want to give up on defense, and especially when that's an area that you're going to need to, um, you know, kind of shore up here down the road. I don't know, is, you know, has Nicholas Robertson put himself into that spot now? where he now becomes a coveted asset, or has he kind of crossed over into, wow, the Leafs really need him in the bottom six, and he's played pretty well, and he has some chemistry with a couple of different guys that you can move him around that, that bottom six and still have success with him. So I just don't I don't really see that player um, where people are really coveting. The other thing that you have to think about is, even with the Easton Cowns and the Fraser Mintons of the world, like Fraser Minton, for example, was never really a point-per-game guy in his junior career. Um, he's a guy that is a steady two-way guy. And I think because he came up and he was talked about so much early on that he is, you know, become the, the crown jewel of the Maple Leafs prospect. And while he's a good player, what does that mean? Does he top out as a second line guy, which is a good player? Is that a, a difference maker? Could be, you know, Easton Cowan obviously has had an unbelievable year, but in London, you get on the first power play unit, you're playing all two minutes, you're going to get tons of opportunity. And that's not to devalue the player because I do think he is a really good player. But at the end of the day, neither of these guys have done it for, for any time in the National Hockey League. Yeah, Minton got his nine games. But really, um, I, I don't think so. I don't think there's that second-tier prospect where you don't want to move off those three guys unless you're moving someone off your roster and Robertson's value has all of a sudden increased to the point where it becomes a valuable asset for somebody else. So, Sammy, the how do you believe that the the prospect pool for the Leafs is viewed around the league. Like there are some, you know, there are some GMs that maybe they thought that they could get Easton Cowan in the second round and they're like, oh, okay, you know, we really covet mm-hmm. that guy. Or, you know, Fraser Minton, I mean, he was a second round pick, but where does kind of, where does Topi Nimala fit into this conversation? Like 
How do you think that those, let's say those three top prospects, how do you think that they're viewed around the league? Like, do you, do you think that they hold a lot of value for other teams, especially uh, rebuilding teams? Or is it the, you know, the, the effect of we're in Toronto and the prospects get, you know, pumped up. Like we saw that, you know, Justin Pogge in the past and, and Brad mm-hmm. boys and, and guys like that who may not have actually been top prospects, but because they were, you know, in Toronto's organization, everybody here went crazy crazy like oh look at these guys that we have and 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 that's it like the hype train sometimes it works to your favor sometimes it works against you when i look at those three players in particular to be perfectly honest with you i think they have more value in toronto toronto's invested time especially when it comes to nimla energy resources when you look at uh, where you are with fraser minton and of course cowan took a little bit of a shot in picking him uh at the end of the first round last year when, like you say, many thought he was in round two. I just think those guys have more value in the Maple Leafs organization because they know them as players. They know them as people. They've already put them down a developmental path that's in line with what the Toronto Maple Leafs um, development staff wants. And so to move off of those guys, I think they have less value to other organizations, more value to Toronto for the future. So, Again, it, it's really tough to say you're going to package Easton Cowan in a first to go and get who? Jake Gensel? Well, now you got to worry about the money. So the, the, the issue isn't so much the prospects in and of themselves. It's the money you don't have. So when you combine those two things, you have to do things like you did last night to go get a Labushkin, who, let's be honest, is probably a 4-5 or five guy on the Stanley Cup team um, but you need other teams to broker the ability to carry the money. So that's, you know, that's the, the issue, you know, Toronto's in right now. And they can't, maybe even more hamstrung with what you're hearing about Matt Murray. I mean, there's still a lot of runway left in the season. And if he comes back, the LTIR money there, the LTIR money for, for Klingberg, you have to be very careful how you manage those situations. So I think it was a really good depth piece. I think if the Toronto Maple Leafs really want to, you know, in terms of using maybe some of Klingberg's LTIR and their first and one other piece that they can go get another player that should have some sort of impact. But those deals are really hard when your prospect pool isn't deep and when you don't have a ton of money to work with. I definitely think when we look at what Bradtree Living inherited, it was a very tricky situation to navigate from an asset standpoint. Like it was going to be difficult for him to go out and it doesn't help that the market's kind of shallow or it seems like it's going to be pretty thin this year, especially in the biggest area of need for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that being the blue line and more specifically like available right shot defensemen. They aren't readily available right now for it's just not the market isn't developing uh, in the way that they certainly would have hoped in terms of potential options for them. Matt and I have been talking about it all week, Sam, when it comes to, I think, maybe the biggest area of concern or the biggest hole on that blue line. And it comes in the form of Morgan Riley's defensive partner. They've struggled to find a consistent option, somebody that can play alongside him and be serviceable enough to complement his skill set. And it feels like they've been searching for that replacement uh, for Luke Shen all season long, and it hasn't materialized for them internally. I guess, are there any, like, what does that type of player actually profile? What does that profile look like in terms of a guy that can play and excel beside Morgan Riley? And, And is there anybody on the market that might be attainable for the Toronto Maple Leafs ahead of next Friday's deadline? 
Well, the, the interesting part, I was just reading a piece this morning about some of the Pierre Dorian trades in Ottawa. And one of those trades was Dylan DeMello to Winnipeg for a third-round pick. And Dylan DeMello has become the perfect partner for Josh Morrissey. And I look at Morgan Riley, somewhat similar uh, player to Josh Morrissey. I think Josh leans a little more, a, a touch more to the offensive side, but, but you get the point, right? And Dylan DeMello has just been that steady Eddie guy that nobody talks about who plays along Morrissey and is that perfect partner. So uh, it's interesting that we're having this conversation now about Morgan Riley and who that guy might be, uh, because if you go back and you look at the Ottawa Senators, who have they been searching for for a long time? The player to play with Thomas Shabbat. And DeMello probably would have been that perfect guy. And so that, again, is a difficult piece to find. And who, who might that be? Oh, man, I'd have to really think long and hard about what... Uh, it's Adam Larson. That's the guy. And they can't afford him. Well, well, listen, Adam and, Larson. And, and does Seattle is, want to move him, right? Like, you know that's what? the other thing. You know what, though, Matt? Like, Larson is an extremely underrated player. I had a good chance to talk to him when Seattle was in town earlier this year. This guy is ripped. I think he's missed in his whole career. Since he's been in Seattle, I don't think he's missed a game, period. Um, but his ability to play hard, heavy, big minutes, um, move pucks like it is so underrated everyone kind of uh, equates him with where he was picked in the draft and maybe because he doesn't lean to the offense you think you know it wasn't worth the draft slot but if you go talk to Dave Haxtall and ask him what Larson meets in his blue line he means everything and he would be like now if the Maple Leafs go get that piece I think that changes the entire trajectory of what their what their playoff hopes look like I really do this guy's he's a stud yeah. But again, can you afford him? And, and do you have enough pieces to give up along with the money? We run into the same situation, guys. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. I like that you brought up Demello um, because because Josh like Mor- Josh Morrissey was in the Norris conversation last year. So yes, he was. I mean that, that had a great that, season, career yeah, year. Uh, that means something. Uh, Sammy, thanks so much for taking some time for us today, buddy. Enjoy your espresso, pal. <laughs> okay, guys, take care. Yeah, there he goes. Yeah. Uh, one of our favorite people, Sam Cosentino, NHL on Sportsnet and Sportsnet's lead draft analyst. Uh, he will be on the coverage of trade deadline next Friday. Uh, that will be a very interesting one. I For like, sure. I like that he likes the Adam Larson thing because I think that's the guy. But I, also, I don't know as that I the said, can do that. Also love the the Dylan Demello reference. I think that's awesome. I think that makes like it, it's it's really the perfect comparison to make in terms of, and that ends up being an underrated deal that works out perfectly as the ideal partner for Josh Morrissey. Heck, even the Thomas Shabbat comparison and him, him raising that point, like they've been searching yeah. in Ottawa forever to find the right guy. And it hasn't happened yet. Those, oh, it's so important. Yeah. So important. I agree. Uh, now time for wake and rake presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book, 19 plus bet responsibly. We are looking ahead to hockey night in Canada. The Leafs hosting the Rangers on hockey night. Rangers are nine and one in their last 10 coming off a win over the Columbus Blue Jackets on Wednesday night. Toronto has won three of the last four against the Rangers. The last two games between these two have hit the over, but five of the last eight overall have hit the under. We don't have lines for this one yet, but my, my guess would be that the Leafs being at home would be the favorite in this one. Um, I would suspect, so based on this information, I would suspect Leafs puck line minus one and a half. And I bet you the Leafs are probably like um, minus 115 favorite. And the Rangers are probably about even money. So let's go on that. And the total is probably at six and a half. 
Huh. And it does depend on who starts in net for the well, Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> it's hard to make a judgment on this when we don't know who's going to be between the pipes for the Leafs. My gut tells me if you want to if you want to sprinkle on this game and you're interested and you want some Saturday night action, which we all do. We'd love Saturday night. action. New York Rangers on the puck line. <laughs> so you want them to cover. So just, just, yeah, because I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there is a world where the Leafs come out and, and actually, uh, because they have a tendency as they always do to play up against certain teams and, and, and play up to their competition. Wouldn't be shocked if they come out and play some inspired hockey, but I think the Rangers are also going to be up for this game. And, I kind of I kind of like this Rangers team a lot, so tempted to take them. This is one of those matchups where it is it's the the bar measurer. If you are the Rangers going up against the Leafs, this is, you know, where you can kind of see where you're at and and if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs going up against the Rangers who have been arguably the hottest team in the NHL outside of Toronto over the last 10 games, this is one of those games where it's the measuring stick, right? And and you sure. can kind of see where you're at. I think the Rangers are going to be one of those teams that is going to make a move of significance at the deadline to bolster their chances. I still do wonder about the confidence in their goaltending because Shesterkin has not been the same guy that we've seen. He's been a lot better lately, but we've also seen the bad of Igor Shesterkin over the past year and a half the un-Vezina, un-MVP-like Igor Shosturkin. So for this one, for me, I, I would be all over the Leafs on the on the money line in this one. And I will say this. I think Austin Matthews scores again. Yeah. Scored okay, again last night. Yeah. I think I think I would be I would be on that train again. By the way, your boy William Nylander had three points on the plane. In case anybody yeah, was Yeah, Maddie, you know one of them was an empty net goal. That's okay. okay. You know what? They trusted him to be on the ice with the empty net. Yeah. Good job, Willie. And it's not like he scored from... He didn't score the Ridley-Greg slap okay. shot from All two right. feet away. All right. He iced it from miles away. All right. All right. So, Danielli's going Rangers on the puck line, and I'm going Leafs on the money line. My this favorite do you player. Have a, do you have a feel on the total? Under. Under. Do you think it's a close, low-scoring game. game? Yeah. For some reason, the last two three, times... 3-2, two, four, 4-3. Like, yeah. Yeah, it feels like a 3-2-ish kind of game. I'm... We're going opposite day. I'm leaning the over. There's just something about the when these two teams play, it feels fireworks. like it feels like fireworks and pond <laughs> hockey. Even though both teams don't play like that, especially lately, it does feel like something's going to open up. By the way, I'm looking forward to the heavyweight fight between um, Ryan Reeves yes. and Matt Rempe. Yes, God Reeves. Oh, uh, yesterday. He oh, dumb, what he, a tilly. Yeah, he dummied Liam O'Brien. Good luck. Uh, we're gonna t- uh, that that was Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Nineteen plus. Bet responsibly. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we have some sound from Thirty Two Thoughts and uh, Elliot and Jeff's thoughts on the Labushkin trade and where things stand here for the Toronto Maple Police. That and Paul Jones on the Raptors, who will host the Golden State Warriors tonight. That and more when we come back. It's the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. You're listening on Sportsnet 590. The Fan.